You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And uh, before I begin, I want to remind you that there is a website associated with this podcast. It is called wealthformula.com. Specifically, one of the things I want you to consider is that if you are an accredited investor, join our accredited investor club. That's where the magic happens, deal flow and uh, things to look at uh, instead of letting your money sit around lazy, losing value in the banks as inflation continues. Get it off the sidelines. Look at some deal flow. Go to wealthformula.com get onboarded into our investor club. Now, today I'm going to talk, uh, it's a little bit of a follow-up from, um, you know, some of our investment uh, back-to-school stuff where I was talking about asymmetric risk. And, uh, you know, last week, of course, I did a back-to-school episode uh, for you specifically on the idea of asymmetric risk. And I told you that my primary asymmetric risk related investments are in cryptocurrency. Now, as a reminder, asymmetric risk means you throw in some of the money and if you lose it, it ain't going to kill you. But on the other hand, if things go well, it could make you rich. Cryptocurrency in specific for me has uh, well, for a lot of people, has done uh, both for a lot of people, right? And in, in fact, in many cases, it has done both to the same people at different times in many cases. In other words, people, uh, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, my God, I, have, I made a lot of money. And the next thing you know, they're like, man, I lost a lot of money. Um, yours truly included, by the way. Now, let's take a step back, though, and review this whole crypto thing a little bit for those who haven't been uh or along for the roller coaster ride that is the crypto markets uh this is something that's been around for about a decade and a half i got involved around 2017 which funny thing is that's actually like kind of a considered somebody's been in for a long time but anyway it all started back in 2009 with a white paper uh, that was circulating amongst computer scientists authored by someone or some people calling themselves Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, the idea on this white paper was, uh, was interesting. It was the, this concept of a digital currency with no central authority, meaning like there's no U.S. government or some big company behind it. Instead, this currency would be owned, not, or not owned, but it would be tracked not by one ledger, but by thousands. And in keeping that quote-unquote distributed ledger, there would be no need for a central authority. So this currency uh, would also be immutable and something that no one could simply confiscate, like, you know, uh, someone taking money from your bank or putting a lien on your cash or something like that. You can't do that with this type of currency, right? Very liberating. Of course, this is a massive oversimplification of Bitcoin. And any purist who's listening to this is like, you know, is thinking I'm, uh, you know, some kind of an idiot. But, but that is the essence 
of the original Bitcoin thesis. And it, it was simply a way to exchange value without a middleman. Now, that may seem like so simple, but that's really what it is, right? It's like, you know, giving uh, somebody else a piece of gold or something like that or, you know. But you, the point is, like, even if you have, like, uh, a dollar, right? A dollar is, a, is an American dollar is just debt, right? You're not really giving value to somebody. You're, you're giving debt to somebody else. But, like... Bitcoin, the idea is actually to be able to give value from one person to another over a computer or whatever, and boom, uh, you don't need a central authority saying that this is actually worth something. So in that regard, Bitcoin has this interesting parallel to gold. It requires, it also requires a kind of mining to make it the way there's gold mining. Mining in the case of Bitcoin requires computational power to solve math problems. You know, back in um, 2009, and I wish I was one of these nerdy computer types that were doing this, but they were mining thousands of Bitcoin on their desktop computers. And and uh, now these days it takes some serious expensive hardware and warehouses to mine Bitcoin, a lot of them, uh, you know, in, in, in very energy efficient places. China was really big into this and then they got to crack down on all that. But very few people early on really thought that Bitcoin would be worth anything. In fact, the first commercial Bitcoin transaction, May 22nd, 2010, and that transaction was for 10,000 Bitcoin that were used. They were accepted as payment for two supreme pizzas from Papa John's. Uh, last year, the cost of a single Bitcoin exceeded $70,000. So with 10,000 Bitcoin, well, you do the math. I hope that was really, really good pizza. It was, of course, a supreme pizza, so it must have been from Papa John's. Anyway, over the last, over the next few years, I should say, Bitcoin saw its ups and downs, but the regression line was clearly positive and extremely steep. And within the last five years or so, there have been Bitcoin futures, been publicly traded financial products uh, related to Bitcoin uh, trading publicly as well. So clearly it has been adopted by the mainstream, by Wall Street. And in my humble opinion, the chances of it going to zero are about zero. Now, despite its volatility, Bitcoin has been recognized largely, again, as a storage of value. This is another parallel with gold. And also like gold, it's a little bit difficult to use in everyday transactions. You see, the Bitcoin network, for all of its you know fancy, schmancy computer science and uh, um, you know complexity, is extremely, it's extremely secure, you know, but it's also very slow. And if you ask people uh, who know about the stuff, it is really slow in part because it's extremely secure. So it's almost like a requirement. Now it would, um, it would, you know, if you use this, so the idea of using this on a daily transaction, well, gosh, it would make your morning stop at Starbucks pretty much unbearable. You know, there have been other technologies like the Lightning Network, that have offered potential solutions to speed up the issue. But for now, Bitcoin really is, you know, it's like a gold-like commodity, really. In the meantime, tech entrepreneurs also recognize that this distributed ledger technology could be used 
more than just for money. And distributed ledgers are now being used to create a different kind of internet. And this is where you keep hearing about Web 3.0. That's what that is. Web 3.0 is owner is owned by the user, right? So think about internet businesses like Google and Facebook, right? You use them, but they're being monetized by a company, a central authority, a figure, a big brother, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or uh, Sergey, you know, Larry or whatever the Google guy's names are. Web 3.0 in theory creates this online businesses with sim similar functionality, but now instead of there being a separate owner, the platform is really owned by anyone who owns a token to that business and it's dependent on these distributed ownership or ledgers uh, of, uh, and, and, not, and it doesn't have a central figure. So no more Big Brother, right? So no more Big Brother like Facebook or Twitter telling you what you can or cannot post. And, and, and you, you aren't making money for corporate America by using these platforms. In fact, theoretically, you could be making money yourselves because you're, you know, you, you own some of these tokens. Anyway, all these crypto projects outside of Bitcoin, they really aren't about exchanging value. And so cryptocurrency is kind of a weird thing to call it, frankly. They really aren't meant to be money except for Bitcoin. Instead, these other tokens... You know, that are anything that's not Bitcoin is considered a quote unquote altcoin, short for alternative coin. But anything outside of Bitcoin, these tokens are more like owning stock in software companies. Some software companies like Ethereum build infrastructure, while others are more specific and build functional businesses or games using infrastructure hardware or software, rather. Anyway, hopefully you get the idea. Web 3.0 is coming for sure. It's just a matter of time of where it, you know, just infiltrates everything you do on the internet. You may not even know you're using software built on these tech platforms. It's just going to one day be the way it is, and you're not even going to notice the difference. It's, it's that kind of thing. until It'll just integrate into the fabric of everyday technology. So anyway, a lot of these new programs and services require infrastructure, that is not only on a distributed ledger and safe the way Bitcoin is, but they need to be really fast. And that's where Bitcoin really probably is not going to, um, I don't know, maybe it will. But, but a lot of people would say that it's really not going to be the uh, backbone of software, right? It may be a storage of value and money and stuff like that, but it's not going to be where the technology um, that people use on a daily basis is. That's where projects, again, like Ethereum may come in. And the other one that um, I'm going to talk about today is Hedera, which is otherwise known as Hedera Hashgraph when it first came out. That was a project I learned about and invested in about five or six years ago in pre-sale. Now, Hedera is interesting. It's arguably the fastest and most secure distributed ledger in the world. It also, believe it or not, has the most transactions of any, uh, any one of these uh, distributed ledgers in the world. And on all transparency, I own, uh, I own a fair amount of this native token for, uh, for Hedera. It's called HBAR. And I've been praying for it to explode like many lesser cryptos have in the last five or six years. I mean, the technology is phenomenal. 
Um, at one point, it had gone up maybe 5x from where I bought it, but I never sold it. It's technology so good that I thought I thought I had a lot more upside. And I still do, despite it being right now about half the price where I bought it. Again, remember that whole get rich, but then you get poor, that kind of thing. Anyway, that is that is the asymmetric risk element. Bottom line is I I have not lost face, so I haven't sold. The project has met every one of its you know, timeline, uh, accomplishments, its goals. It just hasn't had the kind of price action that you might expect. And there's reasons for that. They've been very government compliant. They've been very securities compliant. They haven't gone out there and advertised and made it difficult. And that might be why it seems to potentially be popping up in, in, in conversations about, you know, central bank tokens and things like that. Uh, but let's be clear. This is not a, a, this is this podcast. I do not want you to see this as an endorsement to buy H bar. Uh, but it's an example of certainly one of my asymmetric bets, uh, and one that I thought I'd share with you. The co-founder, uh, one of the co-founders, uh, Mance Harmon, he's been on the show before and has been kind enough to join me again for this week's, uh, episode of wealth formula podcast. So make sure you tune in. Uh, to Mance, and he's going to tell us all about what's going on uh, in uh, not only with uh, HBAR and, and Hedera, but in cryptocurrency in general right now. And we'll have that right after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast has been on a couple of times. Uh, this is uh, Mance Harmon. He's the co-founder and co-CEO at Squirrels Labs, which is associated with uh, a project in the distributed ledger cryptocurrency slash whatever else you want to call it space. And uh, it's called uh, Hedera. It used to be Hedera Hashgraph. Uh, and uh, Mance Harmon's been on a few times before, but thanks for coming back on, Mance. I'd love to, uh, love to pick your brain on this world. Yeah, great. Well, thank you for having me back. It's been quite a number of years since we've been doing this, and it's good to be yeah. back with you. Yeah, you know, I've been... Uh, you know, I've been a follower of, um, I guess, what are we calling it now? Are we Hedera Hashgraph still? Are we st we're just Hedera now? You know, <laughs> we, we just call it Hedera. We know that when we named it, by, by the way, just as a quick aside, we, we couldn't name it Hashgraph because Hashgraph is the, the underlying algorithm and uh, it was already in the marketplace. It couldn't be trademarked. Got it. So it was Hedera Hashgraph. Understanding that over time, the market would just sort of naturally drop the hash button and ultimately just refer to it as a dara and that's happened so that's that's where we are today it's a dara uh legally i don't know what the the you know what it what it is probably a dara hash graph but most people are just going by a dara today got it and the uh native uh coin so to speak is h bar so that's kind h b a r yeah you know we, we've talked a while ago so why don't we start with this uh you know, lots of new listeners too uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, remind us a little bit about the Hedera story uh, with you and your and your partner, and how you know how Hedera is different. Just give us a little bit of you know. I know you've answered this question a million times, but uh, just as an introduction to those who are not familiar with the project. Sure. Well, the project started quite a while ago. I mean, Lehman Baird, my co-founder, PhD from Carnegie Mellon in computer science, 
uh, we've worked together since 93. So 30 years now, uh, always in deep tech related projects. And he went to work in 2012, more than 10 years ago now, on trying to solve a fundamental problem in the field of distributed consensus. Specifically, there's this problem historically of a trade-off between security and performance. If you wanted better security, it always necessarily came at the expense of performance. And he worked for years to try and solve that dilemma. And in 2015, invented an algorithm, today we call Hashgraph, that does exactly that. Hashgraph as an algorithm, a consensus algorithm, uh, achieves both, achieves the maximum performance while simultaneously achieving the maximum level of security, something that in the academic world is called asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance or ABFT. And that was a fundamental advance in the state of the art. And uh, there's nothing better that can be done than than what's been done in that regard, theoretically. And and now we've, years later, we've in, implemented the algorithm uh, and, it, and it's being used in this in this public network that we call Hedera Hatchcraft. Now the, the network itself is unique, not just for its technology. The technology of course is unique and uh, incredibly powerful as an algorithm. And we could talk about what that means, but basically what it means in just uh, very quickly is that we can do really high throughput. So lots of transactions per second with at really low cost. And the, again, it's got the best security in the market in terms of consensus average. So the tech is cool and, and the tech is important, but we always believe from the beginning that the tech alone would not be enough. And we thought that at maturity for this industry, that uh, governance of this global network, you know, the network that we are, are expecting and entrusting to support the world's largest and most important applications, right? By, by, by governments and by uh, global corporates and multinationals, you know, the most important applications running on a web free O infrastructure, you know, blockchain, layer one protocol, that infrastructure, who is managing that infrastructure and making decisions about that infrastructure you have to be able to trust that governing body. And so we decided at the very beginning to create something unique in the industry. And specifically, it is a governing council that was modeled after the original governance model used by Visa back in the 1960s. So before Visa was Visa, it was called Bank Maricard. And there's a gentleman that is giving credit for being the founder of that. His name is D. Hawk. He wrote a book about that called One from Many. And, um, and he outlined in this book the governance model they used way back then. And I just took, I literally took the book and I marked it up. I highlighted the governance components. We took those principles and applied them to our particular circumstance here today. And what we ended up with is a council to, it's ultimately going to be 39 global or multinational organizations, the best 
brands in the market by by market cap and and trust i would say market trust and then this this council of these types of organizations work together to provide the governance of the platform so what does that mean you know to be very specific there are committees in hedera there's a regulatory committee that deals with regulatory and, and legal matters there's a marketing committee there's uh, a what we call CoinCom, which is charged with figuring out pricing for the use of the network, and on and on. These types of of committees and the council members, various council members that have expertise in these areas, provide those resources to the committees, and the committees make policy decisions and provide oversight of of the network. And so it's it's unlike anything else in the market that that I'm aware of. I, I know that Libra, your, some of your listeners might remember Libra for a couple, from a couple of years ago. That was the closest thing to it. Uh, we actually predated that effort by you know kicked off by Meta or Facebook at the time. Um, but yeah, we we've grown to the point where uh, that governing council is is quite large and very mature and has. Fantastic names, fantastic brands so, that are members of it. Just backing up a little bit, just because, you know, this this audience is, uh, I think they're, you know, they're familiar with blockchain and, and distributed ledgers to a certain extent, but that's certainly not a uh, major focus of what we talk about. So um, as a reminder, you know, going back to some very basics here, the the big player in the this space is, of course, Bitcoin and the Bitcoin network. Bitcoin, I mean, ultimately, the big idea here behind any of this was being able to, um, you know, to have a system of uh, that that didn't rely on a central uh, a central figure, a central power in in terms of of transactions like a bank, like no intermediaries. And that that created this um, Bitcoin essentially was the first to do this, uh, to create this, um, system where you could have a trustless, uh, peer to peer transaction. And so ultimately all of the, uh, projects that kind of came after that, uh, were in that mindset. Um, am I right so far? Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and so going back to some of the issues that you talked about with Bitcoin, or you talked about in general about speed and about um, trust and about um, security. Bitcoin is a very secure network, but the big problem is speed. But that's part of the issue, right? I mean, that's that's an intentional issue for Bitcoin. You don't really want to have something that's going to be that fast and easy to process because that sacrifices the actual uh, integrity or the, the security elements, right? Well, that's an interesting thing about uh, Bitcoin blockchain, Bitcoin blockchain and proof of work. So the, their consensus mechanism is bound to something called proof of work. And uh, in short, what that means is that the, the nodes in the network are each competing with each other to solve a really hard mathematical puzzle. And they spend an enormous amount of energy in CPU cycles 
in solving that puzzle. And the puzzle, the, the one that solves the puzzle first earns the right to then uh, put the next block of transactions on top of the chain of blocks or the block chain. In order to make that work, you have to intentionally slow things down because the other nodes in the network, if I solve the puzzle and I send to you and everyone else in the network, my block of, of transactions and the solution to the puzzle, the rest of the network has to um, agree that I've solved it. And if there are others that solve it at about the same time, the rest of the network has to come to an agreement on which of us actually solved that puzzle first. And if you can't speed that up, if you make that, that time period in between too short, then um, the, the network gets confused about who was actually first. And, and so the point is that the entire mechanism, the entire architecture for how to solve this problem of knowing which block to put on the chain next depends on everything being slow. <laughs> And, and so, and, and use an enormous amount of energy, you know, solving these puzzles that I talked about, their only purpose is to uh, implement this consensus mechanism and they're just burning through resources, you know, energy resources at an astronomical rate. So the combination of those two things, one, Bitcoin blockchain has to be slow and it's terribly inefficient with respect to energy. It's just a bad idea, and and there are better ideas. Bitcoin probably will be around forever, but I'm anticipating that assuming they they are, they ultimately are going to change that, move away from the, that energy model that they have today to something more efficient, like what we have, uh, that doesn't require you know competing in the way that I just described. So, would you say that 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 the hashgraph mechanism uh, employed by Adara? Uh, provides a similar level of security as a Bitcoin blockchain? Actually, it's better. And the reason it's better, and, and I want to qualify this, what I want to say is that the math, if we're looking at the math of the two approaches, the you know Bitcoin blockchain algorithm, consensus algorithm or approach, and hash graph, then objectively any mathematician or, or scientist in this field would uh, say objectively Ashgraph is superior in all ways in terms of security and performance. That That's not a, a debated statement, right? That's just an objective statement. And so, yes, I think that Ashgraph is superior than Bitcoin blockchain. Of course, what we're using it for is something very different than what Bitcoin per se right. is is being used for. Bitcoin is an application. You can think of it as a an application for sending money, Bitcoins, BTC, back and forth. Um, hashgraph, Hedera Hashgraph in particular, is more general. And of course, all the major platforms after Bitcoin, you know, post Bitcoin, except for you know variants of Bitcoin directly, but Ethereum and, and others are trying to solve a much harder problem than just making it possible to have a shared ledger that's only used for the transfer of, of coins, you know, like, like Bitcoin. Yeah. 
You know, the way I've, I've always thought about this uh, is that ultimately there's Bitcoin, which is really digital gold for the most part. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. People accumulate Bitcoin and maybe there'll be a secondary tertiary, um, you know, system that it, it runs on, but it's ultimately meant for exchanging, uh, you know, money exchanging from, you know, one place to another. The rest of the um, projects out there, for the most part, are software, right? I mean, it's ways of essentially making the world a better and easier place to function, a more secure and faster way of doing business. Do you think that's a fair way to look at it? I, I think it's a good way to look at it. I, I look at it very similarly, but I break it down in terms of, uh, you know, more um waves of innovation on top so you've got at the bottom layer sort of version one of this was bitcoin and that was just making it possible for peers to exchange tokens with one another exchange value with one another and then the next layer on top of that is the addition of smart contracts which makes it possible to uh create programs that govern when these parties exchange that value. So you, you, you've made it possible to exchange value in version one or version two. You make it possible to create programs or applications that govern under what circumstances and when that value gets exchanged. And then finally, the third version on top of that is, or, or wave perhaps on top of that, is the creation of these distributed or decentralized marketplaces that connect people that want to run these programs that will ultimately exchange value. And so, yes, we continue to add layers of um, features and functionality on top of that core fundamental principle of value exchange that started with Bitcoin. Where do you feel like Hedera fits into the puzzle of all these other projects? Now, you've got you know, you've got some fairly um, fast networks, Solana. Um, you've you know you've got you've got a number of other projects out there that maybe they have slightly different purposes. But how sure. would you how would you characterize the positioning of Hedera in this ecosystem? We've always had an eye or a focus on massive applications, massive use cases that are typically created by enterprise. Sometimes those are just enterprise applications. Often they are very large consumer applications, uh, but we haven't had a, a single vertical focus uh, like games, for example, or uh, you know auctions or whatever, right? We haven't had a single vertical focus. In fact, when we created the council, we intentionally invited council members. These are global 500s, right? So just to name a few, Google is a member, uh, Boeing is a member, Nomura and uh, Shinhan Bank and uh, Standard Bank and you know, just a, a broad range of global businesses. Dell, Dell is a member of the council uh, that are disparate in terms of their market focus. 
And, and that was intentional because we wanted the council to represent the global set of use cases. And then the council members use the network. They bring their learning to the, the, the network. They share information with one another. And in many cases, they co-create. They leverage each other's work to, uh, to create their own solutions. And so it's always been about addressing the most important, the most critical use cases by the largest uh, enterprises out there. Now, having said that, a large portion of the number, uh, I, I should say a large percentage of the number of users of the network today are small, small medium businesses and startups, right? It, the, what we built is good enough for global enterprise, which means it's great for startups as well. And, um, and so that's, that's how we've differentiated ourselves. We've differentiated by the governance model. We we're unique in that regard. Uh, the technology is unique in terms of its properties and those two in combination make it possible for us to address the most important use cases, but everyone else at the same time. So let me ask you this. Do you, so I've always, you know, I, I've been surprised, frankly, that during this last few years, given the technology that's represented here, that it, there hasn't been more, um, you know, that, that Hedera has not necessarily been um, top of mind or top of, talk of the town, so to speak, and, and had its, you know, uh, its numbers go crazy like some of these other projects. Much to my chagrin, by the way, because I'm a, a pretty significant stakeholder. <laughs> myself but but um, one of the questions i have is is that is the focus on enterprise value government value at the expense of maybe growing network effect is that part of the issue because because when you look at some of the the projects that really take off in terms of price and cryptocurrency prices uh it's you know, there, there's a huge network effect, right? There's a huge, like, small, you know, people using it uh, for, or, you know, maybe there's there, there's also an element simply of, I guess, people shilling it or whatever, right? I'd love your comment on that because there's a disparity there between, I think, the technology and and maybe it's it, how well it's known out there in the in the in the bigger space. Yeah. No, look, it's 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 a fair observation. What what I can say is that from the beginning, we have taken a very conservative approach to the uh, the token, the HR, and the way in which the project is messaged in the community, and that was because. We we took a hundred year view, and, and you know the earliest days we would always talk about wanting to create a company that's going to be around for a hundred years. Yeah, and it is possible to you know shell or to use that that phrase the the token and the project in such a way that it has uh, an impact on the token price, and then that drives you know. Um, that, that drives just market perception and, and that, you know, eyeballs, number of eyeballs and take a look. It, but it comes at a real cost. It, you know, if you care about the long term, 
you have to understand the cost of those actions. And it's also the case, so, so we haven't done that, number one, but it's also the case that we want to have to represent well the brands that are associated with the project. And so when you're creating something like what we've created, you know, all these global companies, part of the reason we were successful in being able to do that is because we took a conservative approach from a legal and regulatory perspective. We're based here in the United States, Delaware, uh, and we've, we've had this conservative approach. That's made it possible to create the governance council that we, we needed and, and wanted from the very beginning. Having said all of that, uh, we continue to make fantastic progress. I mean, the number of users, the, if you just look at all of the, the standard metrics, we're doing fantastic. We have more transactions, real transactions. If you do an apples to apples comparison of, of each transaction, we get more transactions than any other project out there. And more use cases, more enterprise-grade use cases go into market and, and on, the, on the network. So, uh, you know, we, we're very happy with the approach that we've taken. It is the long view approach. And when we take a look back 10 years from now and observe the layer ones that came and went and those that are still around, I, I'm absolutely expecting Hedera to be one of the few that survives this to the end game. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the the things that I think that um, I uh, so the, so the you know the the purists in this ecosystem are I think critical of, of Hedera for some of the reasons that you're actually talking about. You know, having having these uh, big companies council. Yeah, yeah, the council yeah. and that kind of thing. Uh, I think they would, uh, I think the argument there would be that, you know, you're doing, you're, you're doing what we don't, you know, what we were trying to avoid is trying to bring in these big companies and control and all that. Um, but the interesting thing, let me yeah. just respond to that because yeah. I do hear that. The interesting thing is I, um, I don't trust Google and I don't trust Dell and I don't trust Boeing, Right. Right. That's why you have a council of 39 right. that are, you know, they each get one vote and they keep each other honest, right? That right. So when it comes to the trust model, I'm a believer, right? I, I believe I, I'm a purist, if you will, yeah. uh, in terms of the trust model. And what we're not doing is putting control in the hands of a few. We're putting control in the hands of a large group that have common interest in making this successful. And the other thing I would say is that at maturity, the purists only represent a fraction of a percent. <laughs> and what I care about is maturity and this thing lasting for a hundred years at maturity, right? Yeah. So uh, I'm also pragmatic, and uh, I think we've got the best. I think we got the best governance model of, of any of the platforms for the long term. One of the things that you were um, you mentioned, and I think is uh, fairly you know it's fairly different from a lot of uh, comparable projects, is really focus on compliance uh, from day one. Um, you know, I actually yeah. uh, participated in uh, a, 
know, the, the private placement, um, essentially, you know, with this, this was done like any, you know, major fundraising project, uh, all SEC compliant, all that. And you're seeing, you're seeing right now some of the fallout of other, other projects not doing this. I mean, is that, is that fair? Well, no, it's more than fair. It was predicted, right? Right. We, you know, we knew that this was, would happen. We knew that a day of reckoning would come, so to speak. And we didn't want to be on the wrong side of that, uh, for a whole lot of reasons. And, you know, it, so it's bad for society to, to be on the wrong side of that. It's bad for you, your project. If the, 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 those that participate in the project, it's bad for you as an individual, very likely. Uh, but it's, it's very seductive, right? The, the, the lure of quick and easy success is very seductive. I mean, a lot of people go down that, that sort of uh, path. And we, from the beginning, against a, a world of, of pressure, believe it or not, there's a lot of pressure to take the shortcuts. And we just stood firm. And, uh, and, you know, now we're coming out the other side of that. And I think there is some degree of vindication that we've taken the appropriate approach. To your earlier point, doing that has opened doors. It, it is, it looks like it's opening doors. And one of the things I want to mention is that there was a fairly, I think is a, maybe you could tell us all about it, but it sounds like a fairly significant thing, which was that the uh, United States Federal Reserve uh, is now implementing something called DROP. Uh, do you do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, DROP is an application um, created by an, uh, a participant in the Hedera ecosystem. But when you think about FedNow and um, you know other payment rails, the the at the bottom layer of that technology is something that kind of looks like Bitcoin. It's just there's a ledger and uh, there are transfers of value from one row in the ledger to another row in the ledger. It's most fundamental value. That's true whether it's a distributed ledger or just a centralized ledger. It's true for the FedNow system, making it possible to transfer dollars from one account to another account. What DROP does is it creates a solution on top of those payment rails, it makes it, it you know provides a good UX or user experience and user interface, and it uh, records those transactions on Hedera. Those and and now my understanding is that Drop is in the marketplace, the FedNow marketplace, and what that means is that FedNow has approved Drop as a solution to be used with its with its system, with those payment rails, and it's built on top of Hedera. It uses both Hedera, uh, something we call the consensus service, HCS, to record audit events in an immutable way, it, as you would expect. And it also uses our token service. So Drop as an application can both send dollars back and forth. It can also send tokens back and forth in addition to dollars. And so, Shashil Prabhu is um, the leader of that. I've known Shashil now for five years, I guess, maybe longer than that, five, six years. And 
uh, we're just delighted to see the, the work that they're doing and that they're getting traction and going to market with this. It's also the case, my understanding is it's also the case that the solution doesn't actually go to market until later this year or into Q1. It was a little bit of a surprise to us to see Fed, you know, Fed now posted on the marketplace, which is very cool to, to see that happen at this earlier date. And um, so it's a, a vote of confidence, in my opinion, that they've already put that up there. But uh, the, the solution itself goes to market later this year. What's the significance of this for Hedera? Well, clearly it's going to result in usage. <laughs> I hesitate to say how much usage. Shishil has predict, predicted a lot of usage. Uh, you know, I've seen a video where he's predicting millions of transactions per, per day and millions of new accounts for Hedera. Anyone that's using Drop is creating an account on Hedera. So I know there's been a lot of, of talk about this and uh, I defer to Sashil on the actual usage numbers, but, but I'm hoping and anticipating it's going to be a lot. This is different from the talk of uh, central bank decentralized uh, currencies, right? This is different. How's oh, yeah. How's it different exactly? Just so people kind of understand, like what's what. I mean, you hear the word, you hear the words Federal Reserve Bank, and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're in the cryptocurrency world, and I don't want to, I don't want to confuse things. Well, so all money is digital today, right? right? All money is digital. Right. It's just that most of that money, nearly all of that money, is. Uh, recorded in a ledger that is centralized. It's not decentralized at all. Uh, meaning, it, it, you might have copies of that ledger running on multiple computers, but there's a single organization that has administrative responsibility and, and legal responsibility for all of those computers. So it's a central authority that controls that. CBDCs are an approach to decentralizing, perhaps, decentralizing that uh, there are a lot of different versions of CBDCs. I don't want to paint with a broad brush here, but, but one approach is to have multiple agencies or perhaps if it were the Fed, you could have multiple banks, each running a copy of the ledger and those transactions happening on, on this decentralized version of the ledger. Perhaps you have even di you know different agencies involved in making decisions about when to unmask someone, you know, privacy concerns, you could have multiple agencies having to be involved in, in those decision processes to maintain decentralization. But then there are also approaches for CBDCs that are still just centralized. And um, so CBDC is, a, you know, too generic a term, in my opinion, you, you, you can't really know what the model is that's being proposed. FedNow is a centralized version of uh, a ledger that uh, you know, brings with it some of the nice features that we're seeing in terms of instantaneous usage, right. uh, instantaneous transfer that we, many of us have gotten used to in, in recent years that, you know, you don't have with the normal banking system. You wire money, it could take days uh, for the wire to arrive. That now resolves that problem for, for a lot of use cases. 
And then, of course, we have what we have, you know, crypto. The crypto is decentralized. It's decentralized transfer of value in many cases, and it's instantaneous, and it happens on a global scale. And so uh, you've got the full range, the full spectrum of ways in which you can transfer money and the architectures and, and the technologies behind that. Adair has been involved uh, in some projects around the world uh, in that central bank space. Is that is that right? That is correct. Yeah. So, you know, a number of our um, a number of our council members are banks. So we have Standard Bank of South South Africa. It's the largest bank in the on the continent. Uh, there's Shinhan in Seoul, that is uh, a major bank, um, and we have Nomura also that is a bank. And I know why I'm missing an important bank as well. But, but uh, I can't remember all of our council members. Yeah. But, but yes, we have multiple council members that have worked together in, in recent months to make it possible to do uh, remittances, you know, to transfer tokens or dollar, not dollar, but fiat, you know, the local fiat from one bank to uh, a different country and a different bank. And those, you know, those banks are proving out those concepts and demonstrating that it does work and it can work quickly and cleanly with all the benefits that, that we've just talked about. What's next uh, for Hedera? I guess, you know, there was a roadmap uh, a few years ago and I, I don't remember where we are on that. <laughs> yeah, well, so that's right. In 2017, we published, or maybe it was 2018, early 2018, we published the white paper that you know that all these projects start with we published our own white paper it included a full roadmap it was a roadmap both in terms of technology that would be built features that would be built as well as decentralization decentralization of operations decentralization of governance uh decentralization of the ecosystem and we have gotten most of the way down that roadmap at this point. So in 2020, I'm trying to remember if, I, if I'm getting these dates right. In 2020, we began decentralized. No, it was, it was 2019. Pardon me. In 2019, we began decentralizing governance. So governance was first to be decentralized. And now where we are, 28 or 29 council members, I, I've lost count. Um, it's it's very robust. It's uh, very mature in terms of the processes and the council members having responsibility for governance. Uh, it's very mature. Now, we continue to add, we'll continue to add new council members and all of that is, is going well. We're at the stage now where we, um, we're not desperate for council members. And so we can be very selective and only invite council members to participate that are also building on the project, building on Hedera. And, uh, and so we, we're taking our time in finishing out that, that full range to, to 39. So governance first, starting in 2019. In 2020, we started thinking about decentralizing operations. And that then led to the creation of um, a the HBAR Foundation, which is a fully independent 
organization that was given a big tranche of uh, HBAR to to go and seed the market of projects out there. And it's got its own CEO and uh, they're, they're off and running and we don't have a board seat on their board. They don't have a board seat on ours or don't participate in a formal way in, the, uh, in our council. It's truly two independent organizations. And, um, and, and most of the resources, BD resources that were in Adara left and went to the HBAR Foundation. So that was the first step in decentralizing operations. Then last year, 20, yes, tw 2022, May of 2022, we sort of finished that last step of decentralizing Hedera's operations by spinning out everyone else, which were those that were doing the software development, engineering, and product management, and um, you know, DevOps and marketing and all of that left Tadera, including me and Lehman. Lehman and I, co-founders, left Tadera, went to a new company called Swirls Labs. So, so that's who you introduced me as being a co-CEO uh, for on at the beginning. Swirls Labs exists. We dissolved the offices of CEO and CTO in Hedera. So there is no CEO or CTO in Hedera. It's now just a governing body. There is a board and all these committees that I described. There's some staff that manage all of that. But that's what Hedera is. It's kind of a combination of a network and a standards body in some real sense yeah. that, that Hedera exists as today. And then in addition, since then, there have been two additional organizations that have been created. The um, Hashdraft Association in Switzerland to address big enterprise use cases. Again, it's a it's a, a grant giving organization it's similar to the HBAR Foundation, but focused more on the enterprise and education. And then, in addition to that, the DLT Science Foundation was chartered and, and created, and that's the collection of uh, universities that also are members of the council and growing beyond. You know, it's going to be uh, far, it already is, includes more universities than participate directly in the council. And, and that organization, also a grant-giving organization, focused on more of the academic side of the, the work. And as well as education, so it's just grown to be quite a large ecosystem of uh, organizations since we started. And uh, we're, you know, what, what's left? I guess you could ask, what's left on the roadmap? Well, uh, there are a few features that are left on the roadmap that are of consequence. There will always be new features being added, right? You have the, we have the Hedera improvement. Uh, process where pe community members or anyone that cares can propose new features. But in terms of that core set of features that were included in the white paper when we published it years ago, we still need community notes. We still have to enable community notes. Today, the council members run all the nodes of the network. The community nodes are a next step towards decentralization in that regard. Of course, those nodes, when I say community nodes, those are going to be known community nodes. In other words, they're, they're KYC. If you want to think of it that way, we know who operates those nodes. So it's permissioned node operation, but 
unpermission or permissionless usage of the network. Anyone can use the network. You don't have to have permission. You don't have to KYC to do so. Um, and then finally, the last step beyond that is the addition of uh, non-permissioned or permissionless node operators. And we're no big rush to get to that point. A lot of projects start there and have started there. You know, they go permissionless from the very beginning. And I anticipate that we will get there, but it's also going to be interesting to see how the regulatory environment plays out over the coming years. Uh, you know, there's some reason to believe that many of the node operators will be, or if not all of the node operators, will end up being required to KYC. I don't know how it's going to play out. But either way, we're 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 situated to uh, address the you know both the market need as well as the regulatory constraints that we have to live within in in the years to come. And uh, uh, thank you very much uh, for you know giving us uh, your time here. And I know there's a fair number of uh, Hedera investors here, so it, it's uh, nice to have sort of a an update from you and uh, love to have you on again soon. Well, thank you for your interest. I'm happy to come back anytime. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And again, uh, this is uh, should not be viewed as any sort of endorsement of HBAR, but I will say uh, I am very hopeful uh, that HBAR really hits it. And if HBAR goes to $30 or something like that, I probably won't do this show anymore. Okay. No, actually, I probably will. It'll probably just be different. I'll just be talking, talking about it, you know, as, as somebody who just made like a hundred million bucks or something like that, um, which would probably be a little bit of a different show. Maybe it'd be the same. Maybe I'd just start talking about football or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, make sure you sign up for the Accredited Investor Group if you're an accredited investor, because we got lots of stuff coming down the pipeline. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.